Hey everybody and welcome back to Random Chatterings, a hodgepodge of pop culture and life. I'm your host, Arlil Rodriguez, and today is our annual tradition around here, except that we skipped one year, but that doesn't really count. And the other annual tradition of this episode coming way later after everyone else has already done their best of 2018 lists and things like that. But now we're doing ours, and um, I, the reason I took a little longer with this one is that I wanted to gestate. I wanted to have a little more time to kind of marinate the experiences from the past year and figure out like what do like evaluate it properly and make sure that I made a pretty balanced choice. I know in the past I've joked about how most have talked about films and video games and that exclusively. But this time around I just got to consume a lot of different types of media. No music still. Uh, I guess technically Octopath Travelers soundtrack but we already talked about that um so today we're going to be talking about the best of 2018 and it's a customary list my top 10 personal choices of the best of 2018 now a few ground rules before we begin um first it has to be something that came out in 2018 so if let's say a japanese movie came out in 2017 and then debuted in america i unfortunately have to count that as a 2017 release because that's when it debuted first and a second ground rule is i i i as much as it would be fun to kind of del uh, delve deep into some of these topics, I'm going to try to cut it off at three minutes so we have a nice, short, concise episode because, I mean, with 10 things to talk about, we can easily go overboard. So we're going to keep it at three minutes for every single topic, uh, depending on how it goes in editing. Um, so, yeah, let's go. Let's go ahead and quickly go over some honorable mentions. Disobedience, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, Splatoon 2 Octo Expansion, Sonic Mania Plus, Avengers Infinity War, Bayonetta 1, Incredibles 2, Love, Simon, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bojack Horseman Season 5, The Night is Young, Walk On Girl, Iconoclasts, Disenchantment, Water Cartoon, Annihilation, Octopath Traveler, and Mario Tennis Aces. And now let's go over the dishonorable mentions, and it's more of a joke, but it's more of things that I have not, I, I just haven't had the chance to see. Uh, so dishonorable mentions, and this is the, uh, this is the actual title, so I'm not, so, so <laughs> bear with me. Cameron Esposito's Rape Jokes, Sorry to Bother You, 8th Grade, On Chessel Beach, Christopher Robin, Bayonetta 2, The Tale, Spider-Man for PS4, Red Dead Redemption 2, and Devilman Crybaby. Alright, now with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive in to the top 10 pop culture things of 2018. And warning, there will be spoilers. Number 10 is Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. For those who don't know, Bloodstained is a spinoff of the upcoming Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which as of this recording still has not come out yet, but is an 8-bit spinoff. I would say more of a new 8-bit spinoff based on, or some could even argue co copying, ripping off, uh, the original Castlevania 3. And that goes in with the, the, the way you can choose multiple characters. That goes in that you can transform into, you can kind of morph into those different characters. You can switch be between them. It goes into the types of attack styles that each character has, and it goes into the very looking, the very looking aesthetic of the game. It is very much a Castlevania game in everything but name. But uh, and, and this was also a game that was kind of cheap. It was like ten dollars, I think, when it was on sale. But I was absolutely enthralled by the music, which man, I who I dropped the ball. I'm not including that in my monthly music, but 
Uh, there'll be more time for that. I've, I've had a lot of opportunities to show off the soundtrack. I think I started off during the, the look up back on 2018 and uh, and I think in the background episode of some random chattering episodes. So there's been plenty of opportunities to listen to music and, and listen to it on your own. Listen to it on YouTube or, you know, different means. But it's just the, it's the simple style. It's the simple design. But it just works so effectively, and it's a lot more forgiving than the Castlevania games of old. Because in this case, you have the four characters. Or, in the case that, if you're an asshole, if you're playing as the main characters in Getsu, you can actually kill your party members rather than recruit them, and you can actually gain different powers. So you can gain a double jump, you can gain, like, a crescent moon slash, or you can, you can get a run button so you can dash even faster. So, there's so many ways to play in this game. I think I played... Immediately, even though it is a short game, very short, NES short, uh, it's very forgiving. I think I was mentioning before, I think I just got sidetracked a little bit, but you have the four characters, and then if you do recruit all of them, rather than killing them, you don't lose a life when one of them dies, you lose a life when all of them die. So that gives you multiple opportunities, but at the same time, when that character is gone, you will not be able to bring them back or revive them until all the other characters are per have perished. So if there's a power up or a or, or like a, a secret um, upgrade that you were, you can't obtain because you don't have that character, it's probably best to just kill off all the characters and try again. And in general, it's just very replayable because of how short it is. You can just go ahead and just go jump back into it. It's kind of like Sonic Mania for me. It's just a game that you can start it and you can finish it, but then you can just start it again with the same kind of enthusiasm as you had before. And it's just so it's just so fucking fun. I fucking I I didn't really. Like, I, I bought the game because of uh, Some Call Me Genre review, and I also heard on VG, VG Empire, um, the video game music podcast, that Brett Elson actually speedruns his game, and he's pretty fucking fast at it. I think I... I'm, no, I'm not even close to as good as Brett Elston. But that's just the type of potential this game has. You can also master it in a type of way where you can play it and see if you can beat it even faster and faster. Is that type of potential. And I'm sure this is... Uh, the professional speedrunners that can beat this game pretty fucking quickly. So for that reason and for many more, I had to put Bloodstained Curse of the Moon in the top 10 of 2018. Number 9 is A Way Out. And... I didn't have a lot of expectations for this one when I started it up. I just knew, the first thing I knew is a co-op game. It's a co-op game where you're playing as two prisoners that are in jail and the prisoners try to plan an escape from jail. But the, the little, well, okay, there's the big twist, which I did say spoilers at the top. So if you don't want to hear spoilers about a way out, skip ahead, let's say, well, I have three minutes. Skip ahead three minutes and uh, you'll be spared. <laughs> but... This is a co-op game, and you play you play as one character, and either you play online co-op or local co-op. Uh, so in this case, I played with my brother, so he played as the other character. There's a couple of times when you get to actually get some gameplay, and you'll get to shoot things, you'll get to you'll get to run from the police, you'll get to have these really scary uh, quick time moments where you're trying to like grab onto your partner if they're about to fall off a bridge, and it's all about partnerships. It's all about building a bond between your two characters talking about their lives, the story that that is going on. There's even a crazy hospital escape sequence. That is very well done. And honestly, this story has been done to death a lot of times, and that's why I was kind of thinking, oh, this is not going to be that impressive. But then the game does something that somehow, even in a twist in the movie, it just doesn't feel as personal as the fact that your partner betrays you and is actually, and I should have the names of the characters, but it's been a while since I played it, but one of the characters is secretly an FBI agent, and he's been plotting the whole thing from the beginning. Every step of the way, he was lying to you. 
and I've seen streams, there's a lot of articles about this game, and there's streams of people who are genuinely upset at their partner for betraying them, even though it's just the way the game is operating, and that's the way it keeps going. There's a very set storyline that happens. There's a couple choices you can kind of make that ends up with some of the branching path lines where, holy shit, things get so emotional. I, was, I thought I was going to cry at the end of this game, where there's things that you have to do and you have no way of avoiding this. And even though, as I would jokingly say to my brother, he, he doesn't have to shoot him. He can just shoot his leg. He doesn't have to shoot him. But the game is telling you, you, you have to shoot me. This this is how the this, this story goes. There's no happy ending. There's no quick ending. You have to kill me. And that's where I felt hoodwinked. But hoodwinked and suckered in, but also so invested in the game that I previously had no, like, just, I just thought I had no connection to it whatsoever, and it just makes it that much more special that is with the person that you're supposedly, and the, the fucking brilliant part of it is that there had, there's a shootout sequence between you and your partner, or I guess former partner, once you're discovered you're the FBI agent and he's a thief, and I think, I think the thief killed someone, he killed your brother, or it was involved in the killing of your brother. That's a bunch about the backstory. So there's actually a shootout, and that's a shootout you have to do. You can't skip it. You just have to like challenge each other. And well, of course, my brother won because he's good at FPSs. And we're playing with controllers. And I almost won, but no. Uh, that's the genius part of this game. It's just how it throws conventions out the window, and it it actually makes you invested in the experience because you're the one doing everything. It's not just maybe the characters are a little bland, but the performances are actually pretty impressive. Um, it's the fact that you're doing everything, and then something the game says, "Oh no, no, you have to, you have to fall through," and that what was so brilliant. And and I think this is an underrated game. It got a lot of press in the beginning, but I think it kind of waned out. I don't know if anybody put it on there as like their game of the year, but I think it's it really took me by surprise. And uh, I would highly, well, okay, if you, if you know the spoilers by now, then well. Maybe, maybe play with someone who doesn't know about it and uh, don't say anything <laughs> can preserve the surprise. But uh, no, I would still highly recommend this game. It's, yeah, I think there's a couple things that it does a little, a little cheaply in terms of like control, but there's a lot of interesting ideas there, especially with the storytelling that really puts it ahead of a lot of releases this year. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, as a deserved place on this list. Number eight is Roma. Roma is a black and white film that had a limited release in theaters, but is now on Netflix, and you can watch it right now, and you can watch it with subtitles uh, if you don't speak the language. But it's interesting for me because I, though I am a native Spanish speaker, the main character of the movie uh, actually does speak the native language of the indigenous people in that area. So there's also parts when they have subtitles, and I think either they color code it or they have some indication of how you can tell what's, it's, what's Spanish and then what's the indigenous language which kind of adds that extra texture about like the reality of this being the 70s and this being a breaking point in terms of the socio-political status of Mexico during that time, given how the the housekeeper is taking care of a middle-class family and, and she gets to live in a fairly... Well, she gets to take care of a really big house, but she actually lives like in, like in one of the upper floors and it's a little tiny, but it's her livelihood and it doesn't seem like she was able to get an education. So this is just the life that she's unfortunately ended up in, but she loves the children she's around that she gets to take care of. And as you can kind of tell throughout the movie, there's, there's some dissension between the, the husband and the wife and where things get, things get very complicated 
And it's interesting remembering how the movie starts with, I think, the uh, the main character. I, I apologize for not remembering her name. The main character having to wash the, I think, the, the driveway. And there's a really long sequence of the car entering in the driveway where you see the father smoking. And it's really long. It's it's one of those movies where I think I I definitely would appreciate it more than my brother does. Like my brother likes more like action packed kind of movies. This is a very well paced film. I think one of Cuarón's best. I love Alfonso Cuarón. I love Gravity, and I especially loved uh, Harry Potter and The Prisoner of Azkaban. But this is another another opportunity for a director to get to make a more grounded type of film, more personal film. It might be semi-autobiographical, not autobiographical, but semi-biographical. It's, it could be based on his own life living in this in this area in Mexico. But a, a movie like this, like a black and white movie like this, doesn't normally get made. And it's really great that Netflix financed the movie and produced it. And then they have allowed distribution about it. And now a lot of people who would normally not see a movie like this have the opportunity to see it. And of course, it's the, the Criterion channel. If you really want to get your, your um, avant-garde um, world cinema fix. But... Um, j just for the, the direction that this movie takes, the different, like, remembering, oh, right, right, this is, this is during, like, student protests, and this is when there's a lot of antagon antagonism going between the protesters and the government, and things that go in a horrific turn near the end of the, near the end of the movie, and then even another turn involving the main character, it, it, it just, it, it just keeps hitting you in waves of emotions, and there's a lot of parts where I really thought I was gonna cry, and, Technically, the poster of the movie spoilers it, and you might even see that poster like when you're just clicking the movie on Netflix. But I think it's very well deserved. It's about two hours, but it's it's a fantastic film, really well done. Uh, one of my favorites, absolutely one of my favorites of the year. Number seven is I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Oh my God, a not film or video game. Uh, I was very lucky that I got to read this book. Uh, I had a brief job. I, I, I've mentioned it a couple times, but the commute was about two and a half hours on like several buses so i had to have something to preoccupy my time that was not listening to podcasts so i read uh this mass uh, i say massive but i don't really read books um book about the golden state killer and the journey that michelle mcnamara the author uh who unfortunately passed away uh, i think a few years ago the long journey that she went the many, uh, the many amounts of detectives and the people, of sort of, not people interest, but like just recording, um, uh, like, like trying to track the path of the Golden State Killer and trying to locate him. And unfortunately, she wasn't able to capture him. But as we know, this the story has a happy ending, and the Golden State Killer was finally captured. But it was just something frustrating reading the book because it starts with a really graphic depiction of one of the, the Golden State Killers. And also known as the East Area Rapists, killing sprees, and how at first he he was someone who fuck the person we don't know how to mention his name, how he would prey on like women like unsuspecting women, raping women and uh, saying horrific things to them, putting them through humiliating circumstances like I think one of them was like I think they had to like balance a book on their head and the killer would say if you if those books fall I will kill you, and just horrific infuriating things that really it was also like seemingly taunting like it seemed like the golden state killer was going out of his way to flaunt his appearance to the police to t take advantage of women and take away their lives eventually he got to the point where he got so frustrated that he was getting older and he wasn't able to to uh i don't know some i don't know what clicks in his brain but eventually he was resorted to killing and the book is a very comprehensive look at some of the cases 
in a lot, and not in a lot of detail. And I think in some instances the names had to be changed for the respect of the victims. Um, but just the excruciating amount of work that went into trying to figure out exactly who was the Gwendolyn State Killer. And they, as the book ends with not knowing who it is, but with a horrific quote of the Golden State Killer, like saying that I'll be, paraphrasing, I'll be gone in the dark and no one will ever know who I am. Well, fuckface, we know exactly who you are and now you're in prison. So it, it ended up working out. Um, and this was my kick into true crime. I think I've recently listened to a lot of true crime podcasts and uh, I want to listen to more. But no, more importantly, the book was just well paced and it really didn't feel like a long read anyway, even though it was, it was 300 pages. But again, I say this as someone who doesn't read books. It's an excellent excellent book and um it's unfortunate that it's it is the last thing that michelle mcnamara got to write before she uh unfortunately passed away but uh what a legacy to leave behind and we got him michelle we got the golden state killer so <laughs> sorry uh, that's a good turn um rest in peace michelle number six is bow uh so i did mention incredibles 2 in the honorary mentions um but Something about Bao, one being the first uh, short film or any film directed by a South Asian woman in Pixar's history, and about it being not in the kind of the tradition of Pixar films about, oh, this is about a thing that comes to life, but it's not just about that. It's also about a mother who is seeing her son grow up. And in the case of Bao, uh, it's a little dumpling, a cute little dumpling, and seeing how she creates a dumpling and I think normally eats dumplings. But this one is like actually comes to life, like in a way that you would imagine, like, um, you know, in, in the tradition of like, oh, my God, the thing's alive. And it's normally not. But it's also about the relationship between the dumpling and and the mother. That's just so sweet and endearing and then painful when you realize as with all things, with all things in life that eventually that dumpling has to grow up. And it's very funny to see the dumpling grow facial hair. But then it gets to the point where. I think the dumpling has a girlfriend. I don't remember if it's a human girlfriend or a dumpling girlfriend. I think it is a real human girlfriend. It's been a while since I've seen this short film. Um, but just the way that it escalates. And also the brilliant of, like a lot of Pixar shorts, about it not having any voices at all. Like all being silent, but still being very grounded in terms of the environment that it is. Like I don't particularly know a lot about the background of the director. But it seems like this was a film that took a lot of a lot of care in terms of the director's own childhood and I would imagine upbringing uh, but it's 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 something that's so relatable to a lot of us it's not just a it's not just relatable for Asian families it's about the overprotective mother who just will not let their child go because they realize that they're oh my god I didn't realize it was gonna be the emotional <laughs> the emotional uh, best of 2018 recording uh I, I, did I cry I did cry yes I did cry during this movie and um, yeah for spoilers Eventually, the mother it gets to a point where she's arguing with her dumpling son and gets to the point where she doesn't want to let him go, will not let him go, and to seal that in, eats him in a really shocking scene. But as it turns out, this is just, this is thankfully just a, a, a fantasy or a dream that she has. And her son has already grown up and has a girlfriend. I think a fiance, actually. You can kind of kind of imagine that based on the, the 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 visual language which of course is very important because this movie is it, it's there's no voices i mean there's there's sound effects and there's music but um just using that to like a very poignant effect and uh this was about to start crying now very emotional 
Uh, it was about nine minutes, and I think it was free on YouTube for a bit when I think it was being in consideration for an Oscar. I don't know if it's still free, but I mean, I think Pixar shorts are usually like two bucks. Pluck down those two bucks. This is one of the best short films that Pixar's made in a very long time, and just and it, it really says a lot about the, the the company's push for more diverse directors in the director's chair. And I really hope this this leads to more opportunities to see to hear from different voices. And uh, in general, it's just it's also just so fucking fantastic. And uh, it's gonna make you tear up. I mean, it, it, that, I guess it depends on how connected you are with your family. But I, even even with the estranged relationship with my own family, I, I still found it very powerful. And uh, yeah, still one of the best short films of the year. Number five is Hereditary. <laughs> oh my god, Hereditary. Where the fuck do I even start? The, the opening shot, I think, or at least it's somewhere in the beginning of the diorama, and this is really important because the main character, uh, who plays played by Tony Collette, is someone who creates these dioramas, these miniature figurines, and then she, she produces these for art pieces for museums. The film opens up with a diorama of the house, and then they'll zoom in, the very long zoom in, into the house that somehow, and I don't know where the cut is, it's seamless. Like, zooming into the room, and then the room is live action, and then it's like you see Gabriel Byrne actually walking in and trying to talk to his son. And this is a fucking, this is a fucked up movie. And I knew this going in. I knew about, especially from the trailers, about, oh, it's about how it's a family, and there's something going on with the house. There's like some kind of horror course, and it turns out it's a cult. It's a, it's a goddamn satanic cult. And I think the grandmother had a connection with the cult. I don't remember the spoilers a lot of percent. What I do remember, uh, and I already said spoilers at the top, what I do remember is the daughter who, I mean, is already played to be very a very strange character in the fact that she cuts off a pigeon's head. Just gets, like, I, I think there's like some crazy thing where I think the brother is driving high and then her head gets lopped off by a fucking, by one of those like, power poles. And it's horrific. And then the son has no cho no choice, or maybe he doesn't have a choice, but he just leaves the body there, and it's rotting. And there's ants going up, and you don't see any of this. You just kind of like, it's, it's like a, it's it's, it's like I mean, Hitchcock's an asshole, but he did say it's about suspense and like seeing the bomb and then knowing not thinking like not just having the, an immediate explosion or a jump scare. I don't think there's any jump scares in this movie. There might be a few, um, but like knowing. Setting up, oh shit, the body's still in the car, and then you're hearing uh, just the wife just like talking to everyone and like, oh, come on, just gonna get the groceries, and the horrific scream. Um, and then the breakdown of the entire family dynamic because of things that I already said there's cults, but the mother starts to suspect that there's like some kind of cultish presence in the house, but it has something to do with her friend that she kind of meets after I think some kind of grief um, meeting or meetup. And it, it turns out, as it, as it turns out, that the best friends actually connected with the cult, knew the grandmother, and basically tricks the entire family into sacrificing themselves for the cult. Um, and I think that the daughter was going meant to be the next, uh, I don't know, I remember the next uh, line in the family of cult. Um, this is a very uh, quickened summary of this movie, but I have to give props. And it's a fucking, okay, the Oscars are bullshit, but Tony Collette should have gotten a nomination. Her performance is unhinged but captivating at the same time and at the same time because this is another one of those horror movies where there's something happening and no one ever believes them and it's kind of strange with in terms of the religious iconography as well in some places just like how the family is kind of agnostic but then she starts talking about religion and those kinds of spirits and about seances and 
oh my god it, it's just like it's it's like it's frightening because you believe everything that she's saying and just the breakdown the slow immediate breakdown and how she's trying to prevent the inevitable from happening but it ultimately happens and then the fucking end of the scene with a bunch of naked bodies i cannot say i mean I, I think that's everything but it's still not you also have to watch the movie the whole two hours and just sit there and feel really uncomfortable but goddamn uh one of the best movies of the year by far and definitely didn't go in a direction i was expecting it way more clever than i didn't give credit for and then a24 is some of the best distributors i guess I, I, production company slash distributors God damn it. I'll never doubt anything they release ever again. And there's a couple movies already that A24, like uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco and The Farewell with Aquafina. Uh, they're still hitting out of the park. Uh, always great choices by A24. But yeah, again, if you're not a fan of horror movies, do not watch this. It's a fucked up movie. But if you are, check it out and uh, get ready for the time of your life. Number four is Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And I know, blasphemy, not number one. Uh, there's a couple more things above that. I, 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 look. So, okay, in the heart of hearts, it is my number one of 2018 and video game. But I noticed something as I kept playing. And I've talked about this on podcast before. For those who don't know, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is a giant crossover fighting game or party game, depending on how you want to go about it. But, yeah, there's, it's, it's also it gives you so many options of how to play. So you can play it for competitive reasons. Or you can just, like, have a bunch of items and just have a time have the time of your life. You can set up custom rules. It's The game is meant to be played the way you want to play it. If you want to play it without stage hazards or, like, without, like, the fucking yellow devil coming on the Mega Man stage, you can play it without that. And it, it's a game that's designed to just be a game that's for you. And that also goes with the character roster. It's almost 76 characters. And as of this recording, we have the hero from Dragon Quest and Banjo fucking Kazooie. Whole a Microsoft character. Okay, you can look up the history and why this is such a momentous reason for this happening. But anyway, the, the, the fact of the matter is that there's going to be a bunch of characters coming out of this game. I think there's two more yet to be revealed. But everything about this just feels like, oh, this should be like, this is anybody's game of the year, right? And no, as a collective package, the story mode, which is, I think, the World of Light, where you go and you do these individual battles for these spirits, and the spirits actually enhance your abilities, and then in some situations you'll actually be able to equip the spirits, and if, let's say, if there's a poison-filled arena, you can actually have a spirit that removes poison. It just went on and on and on. And I was actually one of those people that was able to stick around. Like, I was actually interested and invested for at least 30 hours. But then when it got to, like, the last twist, it was like, God damn, I thought I was done. I thought we were going to be done with this fucking game. Because there was the boss battle. And then there was another boss battle. And then there's like, oh, there's more? What? It, it, it just, I think <laughs> I think it takes 40 hours to do. And that's just too long. Like, you can enjoy the, the very default aspects of Smash Brothers and fighting things. But at some point, that's just too much. And so, unfortunately, I kind of have to knock it down a couple places because I have to talk about the package as a whole. And the single player, if you're just doing that, it's just not enough. The classic mode is very fun, and it's great that it's tailored to every single character. So you're going to get a different classic mode no matter what. But then there's the other modes, like all-star mode, which is not very good. It's just like beating a bunch of characters and seeing how long it can last. And then, But there's also the stage builder, which is really cool. And, oh, God, the community, I don't know how they do it. Like, there's a lot of amazing stage, like, custom stage creations that the community has come up with that I could never ever, I don't even know how they come up with in the first place. There's an incredible uh, stage that me and my brother downloaded called the End of Ava stage. I don't, how did they do it? Like, yes, it's a flat plane, but then it's like the background and the face from, I think, one of the Ava movies and holy shit, how the fuck did you do that? So, 
the community is going to keep this game alive. And and it's also just the solid foundation of it. Just playing as every character is so much fun. And I admit that I was like, I'll admit, like some people, I was a little, not like disappointed with the hero. I was expecting it, but like when Incineroar was announced a few months ago, I was crestfallen. I was like, oh my god, it's not Banjo, it's not Shadow, it's not like you know all, all these characters. Gino, oh my god, that could be, could that be the next character? I'm hoping for Tubi, but yeah, we'll see. But then I actually play as Incineroar, and he's so great. It's a giant red cat. Although I usually put on the purple cat color swap because it kind of looks like Big the Cat from Sonic Adventure. And he's just like this. He's a wrestler. Like he grabs people and he can like like clothesline them. And he's like every every move he just like does a pose like. I can't reduce his voice. It's a reward. Okay. Let's see. Let me know in the comments if that was close to what Incineroar sounds like. If not, I apologize for blowing out your speakers. Everything about this game is it's just hitting on all cylinders. It is a labor of love. But yeah, no, the single player mode and taking it that as including as the whole package kind of hurts the placement a little bit. And I, I haven't actually even played the game that much, even with the release of Joker from Persona 5. And I don't know, I, I don't play competitively, so I think that's probably why I don't stick to it. But I feel like if I just decided, oh, let's just play for a few hours, like just by myself, I'd probably have the time of my life. And uh, it's just, it's just, it's a game that's just designed to be fun forever. And I, it's going to be a long time before you see another one of these games. I think like, if this is the last Smash Brothers, damn, what a way to go out. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is a super high recommendation if you're someone who doesn't really play fighting games, if you're someone who plays fighting games competitively, this is the game for you. And if you're someone who doesn't even know about many of the franchises, you might be introduced to something you like, you might like the character designs. There's a lot of like female character uh, representation, which is really awesome. Uh, it's, it's a game that has something for everyone. It's such a fun time, can't recommend it highly enough. Number three is Hannah Gatsby Nanette. So I heard a lot about this comedy special, and though there was some discussion on the internet about, oh, should we call it the comedy special because of the context of it and because of what, like, what the special is actually about? But then Hannah Gatsby herself said, I talk into a microphone. I have, I'm standing. There's a stool and there's water. It's a comedy special. So okay, we're gonna call this a comedy special because Hannah Gatsby has said it was a comedy special, and uh, I wasn't expecting. Like, I just knew it was gonna be really funny because it is a comedy special on Netflix, and I think it's still available. I, I was not expecting the direction this took, and it, it, it I hate to always make things about myself, but this, the whole thing about Hannah and Hannah Gatsby talking about how, like, the way that she was using jokes as a shield for her her own shortcomings, not just her shortcomings, but just, like, the way that life's fucked up for women in general, and how it's just, like, the way that some people say, like, oh, I, I just kind of, like, took this with gentle good humor, like, like, a really abrasive, like, a really insulting comment, and I just joke about it because, like, that's the way we cope with things, and kind of reconsidering, recontextualizing what exactly are you joking about when you're joking about yourself? And for my, for myself, I used to have a very self-depreciating sense of humor in an almost toxic degree. And it was something where I would keep making jokes and say, like, oh, but I've, I'm making it exaggerated. I won't believe it or it's going to be so ridiculous. That's not true. And then I ended up believing everything I was saying. And that's kind of what Hannah Gasp is talking about in this, in this special. And it's not so simply about that. It's also about being a woman, a, a performer in comedy someone who's was, who at the at the time of the taping of that comedy special thinking if she wanted to leave comedy forever because of the hurtful effect it had on her and i think she's still going to keep doing comedy but like having that wrestling like like thinking of yourself well i'm the comedian or i'm also a writer and this kind of thing but will I, am i willing to let go of this that defined who i am like define like made me who i am but then you have to also think like is this really something you need in your life and but there's also like one of the 
best parts of it is just about like reinterpreting the very idea of art because she's an art major and there's a lot of really great payoffs for the fact that she is an art major. The way they've established, oh, this painter painted naked women and it's a beautiful art. No, this is someone who wants to jerk off to something and they commissioned someone to paint naked bodies for them. Recontextualizing the very idea of hold on when you're saying to say this is high art what are you actually saying are you actually just trying to be an elitist and you're trying to push this like are you trying to promote something that only rich people will be able to promote and that the poor people or the, or the peasants you know they, they won't ever be able to see this art and it's an interesting contrast it's, it's an interesting way of contextualizing something that you would think you would think a lot of people are just like oh you can't touch that they're an artist i mean there's a whole i could go into a huge rant about um separating art from the artist now i i think that's bullshit but it's also a really funny comedy special on its own right, but it just takes so many opportunities with the very idea of the comedy special, like what it means and how, how to interpret the very existence of it and how the, the total amount of elitism that a comedian has, comics have, like in terms of, oh, and I'm sorry. Okay, last complaint. This that annoying as fuck New Yorker article about the table at the fucking comedy cellar or one of those fucking places. And it's like, oh, you moved the table. Oh, this is a disgrace. Oh, this is like, Fuck yourself. Like, who gives a shit? It's a fucking table. God, ugh, okay. Anyway, Hannah Gatsby's in that is absolutely wonderful. Really hilarious, but also uh, tragic and, um, and very emotional. And I, I guess in ways that you don't anticipate from a comedy special. Oh, shit. I forgot to mention 100% Fresh for uh, the Dishonorable Mentions. I still haven't seen that comedy special. Um, I know it's on the safer side, but uh, I mean, for Adam Sandler to have a comedy special that connects with so many people... Um, I, that's also worth saying, but, uh, that's taking attention away from the net. Uh, watch both! Watch both! Um, uh, and if you can find Cameron Esposito's rape jokes, I heard also great things about that one, and then I think Hard Knock Wife by Ellie Wong is also there. But now I'm just, now I'm just talking about comedy specials. But yeah, uh, I, I, I highly, highly, highly recommend Hannah Gatsby's Net. It, it surprised me for what it did, and, uh, I can't wait to see what Hannah Gatsby does next. Number two is Celeste, and this is this, this is one of those long, ongoing projects for me. I won't be able to talk about the game in the, in a lot of detail because I really want to give this game the, the the look it deserves. I know a lot of people have already made videos about it. There's been a lot of really fantastic videos about the music itself, but uh, as a game that's meant to be about a metaphorical, I mean, a literal mountain in terms of that you're a character named Madeline who who gains a dash ability and. Like, and there's a supernatural aspect about it, about how your character that has these, uh, they're like meant to be human, but you have, well, the, all these contraptions, you have floating clouds and you know, different ways of changing things up. But it, ultimately, the goal is that you're someone who's dealing, who is uh, afflicted with uh, with uh, anxiety and depression, and how there's moments in the game where that sets you, that's there's a setback, there's like a horrific moment that happens or, or an incident that happens that almost sets back your progress, and then the, one of the most painful things i've seen maybe all year was the very idea of someone like climbing up all the way to the top and then being plunged down all the way down and uh, yeah i think there was some complaints about this particular segment going on a bit too long but i think i i got the message of it it's like you don't know what direction literally, literally you have no idea what you're doing the only thing you know for sure because i think for a while the level kind of keeps going like left and right and you're it's like a maze but then at some point you actually do find that self-confidence within yourself and i guess spoiling a little bit there is like a mirror version of yourself which because of the color scheme and because of the way they look and the way they talk you think oh this is the evil version of myself but it actually turns out no this is just another part of you it's it's a part of you that's always been there. It's the part of you that it is discouraging and it's cynical. 
but it's a part of you all the more. And when the two the two versions of Madeline merge, and they haven't now, you get the power of an additional dash, and you feel even stronger. And even the color scheme change your color scheme changes. Uh, I've had so many problems. Um, um, accepting my other self, and I've so many times when I say I really hate myself right now. It's so hard to deal with things sometimes, and to have a video game acknowledge that conflict and say no accept your other self yes it it sets you back a little bit but you're not enemies you're not opposing each other you're partners you can get through this together and uh, I mean you think uh, you just don't know what kind of like like difficulties life is gonna throw your way and you really think it's just gonna be a coast or you just, you just don't know. You just don't expect your your own self to, to to try to to betray you, and you always feel those moments. Where it's like, God, what is the point of all this? And it was so satisfying and uh, to have a video game tell you that you can you can join forces. You're not alone in this. Not just with friends, because there's a lot of characters that she meets throughout the adventure, but with yourself. You can, you can, whatever challenge you have to overcome, you can overcome it. And you can get to the top of the mountain. And, uh, wow. I was not expecting such a strong reaction. Um, but for a game to be able to basically be a perfect crystallization of what it's like to be, to be depressed. For some people, I mean, there might be people that have other experiences with depression because in this game you are constantly active, and I know some people that are depressed where they're inactive or they, they can't do anything. So, it, but it, it was a game that I, I didn't expect to relate to it to such an extent, and I think that's why I want to do my Minnesota. And yes, I am talking about it now. Oh, I'll probably cry even more when that recording session happens. Uh, but and, and also, I think the game is going to get DLC, it's going to get another chapter, which I think is a story based chapter. Uh, it's going to be really hard, and there's a lot of levels. And I'll have more to say about the difficulty in my full mini-sode, whenever that comes out. But um, for being such a such an emotional, effective experience, and the soundtrack alone also complements that. Uh, Le uh, Lena Rain did a fantastic job with the soundtrack. Uh, and, uh, man. I was just wasn't expecting that. I mean, you never expect... I mean, okay, for Pixar movies, yes, you expect to cry. But they're Pixar movies. I, I just never expected a, a game to have that kind of a profound effect, uh, but also to hit home so hard for me. And it's also just a really solid game in general, really fun. It has it's sort of like Super Meat Boy, where it's like you can die a lot of times, but the game can it keeps it literally keeps encouraging you to keep going. Rather than Super Meat Boy, where it seems like it's a joke to die, in this case you're not, you don't really die. You kind of implode, but you you come back immediately, and it's like okay, I made a mistake there, or I'm starting to learn what I'm where I'm going, so I'm gonna figure this out. Uh, it, it just, it was just such a, oh man, uh, I, I just feel like I'm keep rambling. Celeste is definitely my number one game of the year, and I highly recommend anybody play it. It is very challenging, but I feel like that challenge rewards you, especially with how the story goes, and, um, and I, I hope it, 
And um, I don't know what more to say. I, I, I absolutely love that game. And I love Matt makes games. I, I love that they developed the game. And they. Um, you can also play the original Celeste, like the original demo or prototype of Celeste. It's, it's somewhere, it's like an Easter egg. And that was pretty fun too. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about all that stuff when we eventually do our mini set. And now, I guess, now that I'm to, after talking about Celeste, I, I feel like I'm even more committed to it. Uh, no release date, because of course, every time I give a release date, I'll feel like I'll fail my own expectations. But it, we're we're working on it, and uh, I'll um, I'll make sure it's it's a damn good Minnesota when it comes out. But yeah, but um, beyond that, I think the game is about twenty bucks, but it's usually on sale. You can get it on Steam, you can get it on Switch, uh, a bunch of other consoles. Definitely play this game if you get the chance. And finally, has <laughs> a bit of a, uh, a, a palate cleanser after all that. Uh, my number one. <laughs> Pop culture thing of 2018 is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, first, yes, we got an Oscar. Way to go. Um, but second, uh, this 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 may be the best Spider-Man movie ever made, the best superhero movie ever made, uh, the best animated movie. Okay, okay, uh, no more hyperbole. But in general, um, for those who haven't seen this movie, it's about um. Miles Morales living in the universe of Spider-Man in terms of Peter Parker's Spider-Man. He's someone who lives in the biracial family. He has a black father and a Puerto Rican mother, and that's a part of his identity. And But he's also someone who's transferred from, from his public high school into a private high school, or maybe a charter school. It might be a charter school, but I don't remember. It's a huge thesis of the movie. It's like, there's only one Spider-Man, and I'm the only Spider-Man. But as we see throughout the movie, there's multiple Spider-People. <laughs> multiple Spider-People that have their own identities, their own way of... Of being a spider <laughs> spider hero and just a really wonderful amount of character designs but just in general just just taking it as like this is a CG movie but it's a CG movie that looks like unlike any other maybe the closest thing is the Peanuts movie a CG movie that's able to take advantage of its background as a comic book film but taking advantage of that in terms of the color in terms of the palette in terms of the animation in terms I think uh, there's uh, oh my god um, if you got ten dollars or, I mean, donate to these people anyway, but Talking Simpsons, they did a three-hour and 20-minute podcast about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It is fantastic. You'll get uh, all the technical details that I can't quite bring off the top of my head right now. You'll get it from their podcast. So, absolutely, 100% recommend uh, donating to their Patreon at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons so you can check out that uh, that podcast on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But, um, no, in general, just, just the pacing of it being, uh, like, uh, a particularly dark Spider-Man film, d despite the PG rating, it, it is. It, it did feel like a Pixar movie in, in, in terms of taking opportunities, but you know, reminding that the mythos of Spider-Man is, or Spider People, I guess, is that there's sacrifice that comes with being a hero, and there's people that you're potentially putting in danger for being a hero, and that comes into uh, Miles Morales' tragic backstory. And I'm watching a playthrough of South Park: The Fetch Pole. I know that's a bit of a, a leap. But there's the joke about Cartman giving the, your 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 character a back a backstory a dark backstory, but it, it's not something that's played for laughs in terms of um in, in terms of the character in the movie. It is something that matters a lot, and it, you sit with that moment when um when there's a there's a big betrayal that happens, and then there's the unfortunate death that follows that, and everything is just done really well. All the performances are fantastic. You would think that. A lot of really great voice actors are in this movie. Nicolas Cage is noir Spider-Man. God damn. Um, I don't have a list of the voice actors here, so apologies. I, I don't mean to leave anybody out. Um, but it's also just a really fun movie on its own right. Inventive. Very entertaining. Uh, I, uh, 
cannot say more positive things about this movie. It made me cry. It made me laugh. And it it is a really satisfying movie. As someone who, like, when I heard the announcement that there's going to be an animated Spider-Man movie, I was like, oh, I mean, okay, sure, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. But then it actually comes out. Where the first trailer came out, it's like, oh, my God, I cannot wait for the summer. And then uh, I sold, 100% sold. Listen, after listening to the Talking Simpsons podcast, I, there, it is I, there's some flaws that I didn't really see originally. There's a couple of things that are like you can kind of oh shit this is gonna happen and you can kind of see it from a mile away. But I, I, I don't I don't think that really removes from just the amount of opportunities this movie takes as a Spider-Man movie, but not feeling cheap, not feeling um, like it's taking its characters for granted. It is it is a love letter to Spider-Man to Spider people in general. And it's one of the best fucking movies of the year. And they'll never, never, never say never, but the, the, an animated movie, I don't know what it'll take for best for an animated movie to be best picture. This one fucking deserved it. Uh, I <laughs> haven't seen Green Book yet, so I, I, don't, I can't actually complain about that movie. I've read the articles. Uh, you check those articles for yourself. Um, but uh, oh, God, if there's any movie that deserves to be best picture beyond Green Book. Absolutely. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, one of the best movies of the year. See it, then see it again. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm too excited. I'm, I want to see that movie right now. And you know what? Maybe I will. You don't know what happens after I recording session's over. Maybe I've watched it a hundred times and never even edited this episode. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I feel like it's the most deserving thing. Uh, in a different world where Spider-Man and Spider-Verse came out for the previous year or the next year, it would be Celeste is my number one. But as it stands, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is my number one pop culture thing of 2018. And those were my picks of the top 10 pop culture things of 2018. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, I don't know how long this podcast is going to end up being. I thought it was only going to be three minutes, and I, and I gave us a little bit of leeway, but it might be end up being like maybe 40 minutes, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how much I fix in editing. But um, but yeah, there's also some plans we've got behind the scenes um, that, um, I don't know, might make... You'll be able to hear more of me. Uh, way more of me. <laughs> so if you like my voice and you like, I mean, you like the content you listen to, um, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, we're on a bunch of places. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Blueberry, uh, Player FM. And um, yeah, wherever, wherever you get your podcasts, check this out. We're on Twitter at RandomChatPodcast. We're on Instagram at RandomChatterings. And you can email us if you have questions or comments at RandomChatPodcast at gmail.com. All right, everybody, that's it for me. Uh, my voice is actually starting to give out. I was going to do another recording, but I'll, I'll have to wait for another day. Um, and uh, you'll, you'll find out what that is eventually. But thanks, everybody, once again for listening, and we will see you next time. All right, take care, everybody.